<laughs> oh, brother, this guy stinks. P U, P U. Hello, you. Mm, yeah, that, that ain't it. A lot of times I have like different takes for <laughs> intros because I just sit here. Literally, right now, I'm sitting here in a hotel and just like, bruh. I'm, I want to keep it as authentic as can be, but with some life and with some inflection in my voice. So I'm not so monotone. And I get in this terrible accent every time. I'm like, huh? Try better. Don't say it's terrible, Norris. You know, you, you know, you know, the, you know, the accent cold. Don't, don't do that for these people. Be yourself. Anyways, my Bully podcast, Norris Odiase. Welcome back. Uh, it's a podcast focused on beating the hell out of your negative voice and, I'm back again. Hi. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this very episode. If it's your first time, thank you for tuning in. If you ever have shared, liked, subscribed, whatever, whatever to this podcast, I'm extremely grateful, honestly, for the reviews and the feedback that I've gotten from this very podcast. So if you do me one favor, before we jump in, before we lace up our sandals, not our sandals, but our boots, but our shoes, something like that, lace them up and play this game of this episode before we start. If you do me one favor and share, like, subscribe, send a review. It does so much for myself and this podcast. So many more homes and people can see what we're building together. It does a lot for this podcast. Anyways, let's get in to this very episode. This week's guest, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Rodney Pryor. He's a professional basketball player, a preacher, and the founder of Identity Made, an activewear brand focused on maximizing the athlete, both on and off the court. From the inner city to the bright lights, Rodney always dreamed of playing Division I basketball. After attending two junior colleges, and battling back from two major injuries, he finally reached that Division I level, taking Robert Morris to the NCAA tournament and finishing up at Georgetown. Now, to this point, you'd think this would be the best time of his life. But in fact, it was one of the worst times. He was hooping while depressed. In this episode, hear how Rodney fought back through that time. Hear how he found himself by standing 10 toes and who Christ made him to be. Yeah, bro. Usually I just start recording and, and chopping it up. But um, okay. I just obviously I want to thank you one formally now for coming on the podcast. I think, you know, your story, who you are, what you stand for, your brand, just the message that you push, I think is extremely needed in a time like this where. You know, you go on social media and you hear the lies and the wrong things. I feel like you're mm -hmm. speaking a message of truth. And I know I just speak to the the first day I heard you. I think we were in, you know, the business mentorship program with the NBA. And there's this kid on the Zoom call that just was on fire, just spitting <laughs> knowledge. And I said, huh? Like, literally, he articulated himself like everything I was thinking, just like a brain dump right there. So I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta know this kid and just knowing your story and getting to know you a little bit better, bro. I think who you are, you're a light to, to many that see you and hear you and get the presence, uh, the pleasure of being in your presence. So Mr. Rodney Pryor, welcome there to the Mind Bully podcast. <laughs> well, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to engage in some real good conversation and hopefully, you know, benefit somebody's journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think speaking of journey, uh, benefit somebody's journey. I think 
you know, just knowing your story and knowing your brand, I want to know your initial journey, who you were then. I think a good stage setter where I start my podcast and uh, episodes like this is childhood, because I think the formative years really shape you and everything that you become now. So if you were to take me back to Evanston, what were the outside factors that made that person then into who you are now? Oh, man, that's a lot of outside factors. I, I'm, I'm the fourth of uh, seven kids, but <clears throat> in my childhood, I grew up with four siblings um, up north of Chicago. So you're, we're a suburb trying to make a name for ourselves in the, in the sports world. And I got connected into sports at a pretty early age and um, was raised in the church. So had a had a distant understanding of of just standards and things like that in general. And when I look back now, I see how much God's grace was in my life just because in that era growing up later nineties, early two thousands were just, it was a boom of just culture, you know, what was cool, what was not. And I found myself, you know, I had a interesting group of friends. Like I had my hood friends. I had my I had my church friends. I had my my white friends. I had a Hispanic crowd. So I kind of had like my picking of who did I want to be with today? And when I look back now, I was so well cultured and well versed throughout my journey going into when I got to Juco, where I went to Iowa, then to Kansas, then to Pittsburgh, then to D.C. So um, I was fortunate, man, to be in a scramble when I look at my uh, life right now and kind of where God has me in terms of what we're building and what I've been able to accomplish as a professional basketball player. That's funny. I think, you know, literally you started this podcast with journey and literally that's a journey. Just being one of seven, being in those different communities early on, doing those different things, seeing yourself as different people. What was that little Rollo, little Rodney like? What was that child like? You spoke to your environment, but being a kid behind the eyes of Lil Rollo back then, like, okay, should I be this person's day? Should I be this? Like, who did you think you were? Like, what was that kid like? Yeah, I was a chameleon early on, man. Whatever crowd I was with, I was I was that. So you could see it's funny. Like if like someone was like watching me from afar, they just have no clue of like who I was just because. You see me with one environment and it's like, how could he exist in this other environment? Because here I am and I'll get very transparent just because I think this is this will help give a lot of perspective of the growth God has had in my life where I'm with my hood friends one day. And we're in everything, you know, the gang life, um, stealing stuff. Um, it was a game, a very popular game when we were growing up called point them out, knock them out. So you would just go into neighborhoods and like point out people, knock them out. And I always had a conviction or, or, or like a, in my subconscious of like, what are you really doing here? Like, what, like, what is this? Although I felt seen in this, in this environment, like they knew me as Rollo. So like, there was still like this embracement where I think the, the hood and poverty has this unique ability to actually from their lens, pull people in and like embrace them. Although the, the metrics aren't great for humanity. And 
then from there, you see me with a white family where I'm speaking properly, you know, where we're having dinner or supper at, you know, seven o'clock as a family. Then I, then you'll see me in my home where it's just chaos. Um, my mom and dad divorced when I was 10. But again, I had a just grace kind of cover me where I saw how it affected my siblings, like where, you know, some of my older siblings are a little more hostile. They're a little more quick to the trigger just because that was what our home environment was like for an extended period of time. But like, I just kind of never saw it that way. Like I was blessed to be able to just, you know, want better um, when, when I was in those moments. And even when I look back, the sister above me was my closest sibling. And then my little brother right under me, Randy, um, probably up until I got to college was close with me. So as my journey began to elevate and I'm getting out of the environments coming back, there was always just this like abrupt awareness of like, man, like I see what kind of staying in the same place, only seeing what you see, only hearing what you hear does to the cultivation of like our humanity. Right, man, bro. That you said a lot there. And I think, you know, it's beautiful to look at it from a outside perspective now, like a the point of hindsight, like you're looking back on your situation and see, you know, the grace covering over you and he kept your mind to this point. But going back and reverting back to that kid, you know, the point them out, knock them out kid, that kind of indifference, you know, you were raised the right way and kind of in the church. But, you know, all these outside factors played on your personality just as a question, because me, I honestly was very similar. Like I'm a twin, curious twin growing up. Like I grew up in the ch- in church in Christ, but like at school, I was in gang culture, those type of things. I used to fight. I used to act out for you. What do you think that did for you? Like those different crowds, those different groups that you were in, what did it give you in that time that you thought was beneficial for you to keep going? I think it gave me perspective one, which I think is, is, is a powerful thing to have as cultures just is ever changing. Um, it gave me a lot of nuance. Um, it gave me a lot of awareness. Um, at that age, what did it give you? Because now you could speak. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At that age, it gave me confidence. Like it gave me confidence that I can exist in a group and fend for my own. Like I got hands. Like <laughs> ain't nobody about to just come piece me. Um, you know. And then when you think about basketball, like all my guys is at the game, so it's like this everlasting. Like yo, like I'm good. Like I'm good out here. And that confidence spilled over into every category. But the challenge at that age for me was how do you kind of keep boundaries? Cause you don't want like this confident, like Rollo hood dude to come out <laughs> when we're at certain events or certain um, environments. But I think the confidence piece, man, was, was, was crucial, especially when you get into like just regular basketball, five on five competing, even like when I got to co- like 20,000 people is nothing to me because I'm playing one on one where people are putting thousands of dollars on the game and and a situation possibly could pop off after this game. So 20,000 people is is nothing to me in the sense of competing. 
That's funny because, you know, in the form that you filled out, you said, and the one word that you kind of played your childhood as, or you gave a summary of it as curious, being this curiosity, curious kid. And to me, that means doing the different things. Maybe, you know, the behaviors that came out of the stem of being curious weren't actually the greatest ways, but they gave you this perspective now that you could be able to speak to different people and be able to, you know, speak and resonate. People resonate with their stories with that. I think, I know, you know, it's funny. God uses everything to get his glory out of it. I think that's, that's fire, man. I do think though, and just thinking of it, what do you think is the cost of being so curious? Because on one hand, you have this curious kid behaviors act in one way, but Sometimes when you're so curious, strive, strive, do this, do this, do this, do this. You're never satisfied for you. Did you experience any of that at an early age? Uh, I think now when I look back, I had a lot of anxiety. But like, you know, at that time, you know, words like this, especially in black culture, is not embraced. Stop being soft. Stop being this. Like um, even being told that in a more vulgar sense of like you being a P or you being this or so it's like you got, you build up that hard shell, which confidence can take, but like our humanity is kind of like low key crumbling inside. So I think the cost of curiosity, man, is the the battle of extremes because Mm. here is this curious kid that let me go with these, these guys and see what time they really on. Like I, I heard the conversations like culture is technically embracing this at this time. And like, I want to say that I was there like, I, yeah, no, I was I was on that, too. And what that curiosity did is friends that I had growing up, they're not here anymore. So I think that's the the cost of the curiosity, because, you know, you have the kids that, you know, are just so far gone from their home life, not being great. Like I was blessed to have a, a father that still disciplined me. Although there were still parts of where my mom and my dad's relationship lacked that affected the kids, but the discipline piece showed me how powerful it is to that. My dad was still even there to like, if your mom told you don't go there, they match the discipline with the whooping of, of what, what could have happened, whether it's jail, whether it's getting shot, stabbed, whatever. Um, and when I look at the different guys that are no longer here or in prison, that factor was that, that like, I'm low key here, but I'm actually more scared of my parents finding out that I'm here than I'm like scared of like, what's about to right. go down right now. So I think that that's the cost of uh, curiosity without the grace of uh, God, like the awareness of the grace and everything. That's bro. That's, that's fire. It's just how you, you're able to sum up these real things that you've been in your life and that you've experienced. But there's a thing that you just said there, you know, kind of being, you know, the fear of your parents, not just obviously respectful fear, but obviously they don't, I don't want them to beat me up like yeah, for yeah. what I'm doing. What do you think that time, like your family dynamics, you know, I think in childhood, there's what you think about yourself, but the environment around you birthed success. Like you had that family, that faith aspect, but in other ways, in terms of what you went on to do, 
How do you think your family dynamic shaped who you've become? Yeah, I think um, being raised in a church was monumental. Um, you, I mean, you see the prodigal children, you know, the kids that are, it's, it's a common theme, especially in, in black culture where, you know, grandma or mom, you know, was dragging you to church on Sunday where we now know it's about a, a relationship, not just like a practice or, or religion. Um, so that, that was the, the foundation piece that was always there. I always say it's like the Holy Spirit whispers that existed in my life as a kid. And I was somewhat aware of it because I did read. I grew up as a reader. So I was technically a theologian before I had a relationship um, with God. But then when you factor in all these different dynamics, because then I'm going from black church to with my white family that goes to church, it's a completely different like external take. And then when I'm staying there, because, you know, at the time I was I would not only be at my house. Like I'd spend a night at at my friend's house and I would see the morning. I would see that breakfast was made and we sat at the table for breakfast and we engaged in conversations and we engaged in about, you know, how to have a good day today. And then um, the dinner as well. Um, and then when I go, go home, you know, you're just kind of still in the flux. It's not like I'm sitting back thinking like, man, I wish we could be uh, having dinner as a, as a family, like how I do down the street. It's more so this is just the environment. I'm a kid. I'm just running around. I'm trying to, you know, have fun with my siblings. So how did that make you feel? Because if I'm you in that time and I go to one family, one household in this one way, and you're kind of like, dang, I, I low key don't want to leave this, but I have to, to go home. And it's a totally different way when I'm at home, you start for me, in that time where I was, you know, I was without my father from age 8 to 18. And kind of when I did go to my other family's, my other friend's house, and they had their two parents there and all these things, I'd be like, dang, like, it made me feel kind of less than. Mm-hmm. What was your feeling internally inside? I think at the time, man, for for me, there was like this, like, willful blind blindness when it came to myself in that space because I was the kid and now I can look back and say it now I found it in playful matters because it's such a hostile environment where fights are breaking out everyone's cussing each other out that how can I make a joke right now like how can I get everybody laughing which in turn turned into me becoming like the class clown because here's this kid that doesn't know what's going on with him and just wants to have fun just because what is around me on a constant basis is just very vulgar and hostile. So I think a lot of me and I it's funny, it played out into me and my dad's relationship where once I got older, it was like a very playful, never could engage in like a very serious conversation, a lot due to just him stopping education so early that we can't fully engage in these higher intellectual conversations. And it was just never my outlet. My mom was like where I can engage in spiritual talk with my mom. Um, And then when I got into pulpit preaching and things like that, where God was now anointing me, my mom and my relationship dynamic changed drastically. But that's when I think back to those moments, like I always tried to 
make everything a joke, which would in turn turn in like, man, stop playing all the time. Like, get get serious. Like, what are you doing? And I'm over here just like hysterically laughing. I I remember a vivid moment, bro. We were so when my mom and dad split, we would go with my dad on the weekends and uh it was me, my sister, and my my younger brother, and my dad did something and I could not stop laughing. Like to the point where like when he's like, yo, I said stop laughing. I like I just kept laughing, which, you know, it turned, turned into a whooping. But I think it was like, I think that was like my uh, deflection. That was like my, my, my place I would but go to. That's my thing though, bro. Like you just said a lot and you said like kind of your mom, like the spiritual side, you know, you go to her and she'd edify you that way and charge you up. But you said that you didn't kind of know how you were and you were just this silly, playful kid. I honestly call BS because for me, when I think of that, you're wise, even in that time, you, you kind of, okay, I can go to this crowd to do this. I can go to this crowd to do this. Like you're getting everything from these different crowds. It's almost like you're problem solving. Like what's the easiest way to change the tide in this mm. moment? You know, it's heavy right now. Okay. Make a joke and yeah. you're problem solving, problem solving, problem solving, which, you know, as a kid, there's a lot of kids have people in their lives as well that, you know, they're so, this is so much for me to bear. I feel it. What's the way to get out of this? A joke. And it makes, yeah. I don't know, it makes a lot of sense. Just, I don't know, I'm just thinking about that. And and maybe if that resonates with you in any way. No, yeah. When you say it now, it makes me think like, if I, like, well, we're, we, we'll get into this, but what we're trying to do with Identity Made, um, if, if I would have had that mentor that has gone through trauma, has figured it out, has been through their process of healing, that could come back and talk to me to help me kind of create a guide, since I was aware, but it's like, we don't, we didn't have a framework. Like mm -hmm. it was just kind of a lot of spontaneous things that we resorted to doing just because there wasn't like a community. There wasn't a framework, you know, where we could go in and be like, let me plug in with this community. What's the church? You know, that's the essence of the church where it's like, I can go plug in here, get poured into, to come back into this environment so that, you know, we can start to make some shifts. Without that framework, you go from a kid from, point them out, knock them out to everything that you are now. You went on to play sports and become a professional. And like you said, we'll speak on your amazing brand identity made. Kind of the pivotal moment, the shift. Walk me through that time. What was the moment where you're like, okay, I can't keep doing this and trying these different things. I got to get locked into what I want to do. What was the pivotal moment between the two, whether it's Lil Rollo and actually who Rodney is? Yeah, so it was like that. It makes me think about like uh, the Hulk, how like he started to engage with the Hulk, like Bruce would go back and forth about who's going to win the spotlight. So I think when like Rodney became aware of all these different things, because, you know, the journey takes you through so many points where you be, you have to become human, because if you don't, you're going to go off the deep end, which we see a lot in uh, in life. So my humanity piece was that I I care and I feel a lot like I, I like my feeling capacity and my care capacity is very high. So when Rollo, this confident, obnoxious kid got attached to sports, now you bring into the light of sports and competing and wanting to be the best. And now I got this this culture telling me like this is the way out, like this is what you got to do. This is how you work hard. So then that's when the dreaming of D1 and all these things came. But in that journey, 
I'm getting girlfriends, right? Where Rollo's still existing, where, you know, in that culture, we're still embracing premarital sex and, and things like that. But I started to realize that I'm hurting people. So when, when, when that happened, that's when the real tension and tug of war of like the spirit and the flesh component, um, kicked in for me. And now basketball is my idol. Basketball is my God because I've now put this as the, the source. So everything is predicated on basketball and my work ethic and things like that, where Rollo is still driving most of this because I got to go out and compete against dudes that are really good. And when I got into the multiple relationships, because this is the kid now, because I've seen so many things, I want to be married at 18. I want to have kids at 20. Like I had this going through my mind at, at 14 years old, going into freshman year of high school. So everyone I dated was for the long haul. Like I'm, I'm expecting to get married to you so that I can still line up with this time frame. Then boom, break up with my high school sweetheart. Now I'm in college wilding out because the the flesh is trying so hard not to be with God. So now I'm engaging in everything I know I'm not supposed, like I know it. I'm the guy who's still messing with, getting involved in a relationship because I've never really been single messing with girls. It's always been like in a relationship where now I'm involved in all these environments, but my awareness is eating me up. So it's like, I was like going mad because it's like, I feel this pull to standard that, I keep living less than, and in college, that's where God sat me down my second year of Juco where I break my foot. Like, but this was the first moment of like, Oh, God is knocking on that door. And then I go right back into it once I get back right. But I, I became religious. I got right. I was in church every Sunday. I was reading my word, um, all in vain, which the, the scripture of in our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And then that following year, third year of JUCO, first day of practice, I thought it was about to be sweet. I'm getting D1 attention. This dream is finally right here before me and tear my ACL first day of practice. Bro, you're, (laughs) let me, obviously we'll get to that, but rewinding to, you know, even starting and picking up a basketball, you, you gave us a lot. And the way that you're able, I I admire you because you're able to contextualize everything you went through, what you felt, how you felt, and then move it on and then add God and then put it package it. Like, (laughs) I think it's fire, but like the kid that was, you just talked about, you know, multiple women going from low Rollo to, okay, the game, what the game gave you, you said, okay, confidence. It gave you a new dream and being a pro going D one. How were you able to shift that kind of curiosity into a positive? Again, the curiosity played a one part in one vein, but then, okay, I'm curious, why, why not play the sport? And your first year, eighth grade, you were on the B team. Like, so you weren't great. There was levels of growth in there. You were curious of, okay, I can still keep going better and getting better and getting better and getting better. And you go from a JUCO, you went to a one JUCO, then you transferred to cloud then you went to Robert Morris. Then you went high major D1 in Georgetown. Your journey is literally the journey of a curious person that who wants more for himself, which makes total sense of why your brand is literally identity made. Like who I am in Christ is greater than any of my circumstances. I'm not trying to preach, but it's it makes a lot of sense of why you are the way you are. I guess 
contextualizing this into a question, I would say, how were you able to shape that curiosity and keep running in that lane of being a pro when your circumstances says otherwise, your background says otherwise, like it's easier to do the wrong things and kind of be with the wrong crowd? Did you have a representation of, okay, keep going. You can be this D1 player. How did you keep pushing? Yeah, so this is the... This is like that toss up metric that I, I don't think breeds like consistent success. But like, again, when you in the hood, when you're embraced by um, the hood and just guys of that nature. They become your beacon. So when you when you're fortunate enough of having a guy that's in the hood, like in the streets, but like has some wisdom. Like that can like guide you, although it's like I'm about to go do some wild stuff, but look here, like you got something to you. Like, and when, 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 when I got the stamp from the hood, that's now when it was like, all right, it's cool to dream. It's cool to work hard and pursue something that we don't, we don't see on a, on a regular basis. So when that happened, it was like, I, and I've always been open-minded. Like I've been open, you know, the journey kind of has allowed that to happen. So I got introduced to my freshman coach, my freshman B year, black man, uh, wife, kids, high standards, like high standards. And this was like my first humbling moment. Although I was weak in my middle school years, like I wasn't like that. Like all my boys were like, I was the fan kid, like, but like Rollo, because I could beat you up, like still had this confidence. Although like I didn't, I, I wasn't a good basketball player. And when I got to my freshman year, there was still like this expectation that I should make the A team. And when I didn't make the A team, that was like that first like humbling moment where it's like, I haven't gotten peace yet. Like, ain't no one seen me on the hands. Like, but this was that moment where it was like, dang, how do I get back up from here? All my buddies is on the A team. And here's this coach waiting for me, like waiting to pour in standards to me, waiting to show me, you know, from a black lens what standards look like, what respect looks like, what work ethic look like. And that was kind of what propelled standard in my life, even in the midst of falling short and still not doing everything the way you should be doing. That was like the moment where like I got introduced to that as it continued in my career. So now it's like, I not only have the hood to fall back on to share my pain and stories, but now I have this, this, this mentor, this father figure um, that I needed in my life at, in a pivotal moment. In a pivotal moment, you had that fire, that father figure that poured into you, you know, that championing your talent. But not only that, that curiosity, that thought in your head that said, OK, I can be more. You had the push from whether they knew it or not. The the hood dudes that you're like, OK, uh, OK, I'll take that. I'll take that. You contextualize their advice. I don't have to do the street things, but I'll take that. And you took that and you paired that with this coach that got you on and moving on to uh, a Kirkwood Community College. And then you moved to Cloud and you just spoke about, you know, the injuries that you faced. When you did all this to become a D1 player, that was your dream. And you get injured. Walk me through that journey because there's a lot of emotions when you get to this moment of striving, 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 and it all comes crashing down with a career altering injury. Yeah. In that moment, that kid that still wanted to go D one, but you know, the circumstances don't look likely now. Yeah. 
What was that time like? Man, it was so. I'm transitioning now into a new girlfriend because, you know, at that age, when you get a girlfriend that they kind of like take on uh, your reality. So I was in a transition of getting a new girlfriend and I break my foot. And at this Juco, I had a high standard coach waiting for me to like holding me accountable to the highest degree on top of my my senior coach at my private school when I transferred. But um, I I break my foot and it was my first moment of doing this. Because <gasps> coming from inner city poverty, just that whole climate, you're running. You're trying to survive. Um, you're scared and don't even know you're scared. Like, And that was the first moment where I took a deep breath of like, yo, what is going on? Like, what, what is going on? Who am I? What am I trying to do? Like, I'm in this metric, but I don't even like, like, I don't even know I'm here. And when I, when I broke my foot, that was the first moment of taking a deep breath. And right after that is straight fear, anxiety. Like, yo, what is, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm away from my family. Um, you know, I'm still engaging in sin and like, I'm trying to go D1 and it looks very bleak right now. Like, like, like what's about to happen. And then that's when like a authentic push to God came, although it ended up turning into just, you know, quote unquote, using God to get back. Now I'm back in survival mode. Now I'm back on the hamster wheel. Um, just doing what, do, what my environment what, has told me to do. What do you mean? What do you mean when you say using God to get back? You think that that kind of gave you something to cling on to, to, to get you to, you know, selfishly all your desires. Yep. Yep. Just that, that like, you know, the emotions, the feelings, the spiritual space, because you know, it exists. It's like, all right, this is it. And I grab it. And now it's like, but deep down I'm remembering, Oh, I want to go D1. You know, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's all about I and what I want to do. And it's not about what God has for me. And, and, and none of that matters. So. So when did it change? Because I think, you know, during that time or fast forward a little bit, you became you started preaching and yeah. you started serving with other people. So when did it take from I, 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 I want to use God for me to we, 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 I want to use God to serve and actually, you know, expand the kingdom. When did that change? After the, the ACL. So when I tore the ACL, that's when it's like, all right, bro, you can't win. Like that was the moment where it's like, like you can't peace God. You can't outrun him. You can't out clever him. And now is like the moment where I, li- I literally remember, um, I'm at my host family's house. Cause you know, in Juco, they give you host families cause you don't get to go home for like holidays and stuff. And I'm on the couch, knee is in just immense pain. And I just remember just like bawling my eyes out. And that was the moment I met Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? If I never play this game again, I'll serve you. And that is when like the game of anointing started like clicking. Do you not? Like, do you not think that's so crazy when you're trying to do I, I, I for me? You know, you tear your ACL, you break your foot, 
and you have no film and your mind bully is like, okay, I'm not going to be able to go D1. Everything that I want, D1, D1, D1. Then you get an invite from a JUCO top 100 camp and then you get seen by schools and you went on to go yeah. to a Robert Morris. Ah, like that's like hearing that story is like, wow, like God it's actually, yeah. it's like his time. It's God. It's, bro, I didn't play in JUCO. Like back to back, because at my first school, I didn't get no minutes. And now you talk about living in sin. Oh my God. We were like 20 minutes from Iowa City where it's still this kid that has skills and all this stuff, but I don't know who I am. So I'm just still this chameleon fitting in, wanting to be like, making people laugh, all this stuff. And then, and I barely played there and it was not even a great conference. So that's what made me transfer. Cause I'm like, man, I, we was blowing teams out by 30 and I didn't even play. This is not the place for Rollo. So when I transfer, I don't even play. And here I am still like, Yo, I, I'm trying to go D1. What? And this is, I'm, and this, like, this was like that, like, where Rollo was tested, because it was like, you might have to go D2, bro. And, you know, we, in, in our era, we grow up like it's D1 or die, which is a, it's a terrible metric. It's a terrible it metric. It is. It is. It's it a is. terrible metric. But again, what we talked about, you got to go with the cars that are dealt. So it just drove more confidence. And, and our, you know, our generations that really work hard, really push. Like when we say hoops is life, it's life. We in the gym 24 seven, we outside hooping 24 seven. So on that metric of D1 or die, it's like, no, it's D1 or die. So now I'm at a, a crossroad of like, look, all that talk is about to go out the window. So who you, who are you going to listen to? Like, do I got to hit my boys back up? Cause it's like, Hey bro, you going D1. It's like, you be, you're the hood savior. Like, like, yo, you got to go D1. So that's real pressure because you embrace that. And that's still like a part of who you are. Um, and then I get injured back to back. That's why that meeting God moment was like insane. Cause then after that, God just started showing off. I'm getting division one scholarships. And it's like off the word of mouth from my coach, who's putting his life in credibility on the line because I'm still uh, showing that I was raised right. I'm still showing like I got work ethic. I'm still showing some tangible variables that you can work with and trust once he figures it out. How? Like what did that practical lock-in look like? Because during that time you have two major injuries. I know the outside murmurings, they're like, well, I mean, we thought we had one, but hell, they probably won't say it. They start looking and posturing the way they speak to you differently than social media and an outside noise. What did that practical lock in for not only Christ look like, but practical lock into the game and your mindset towards, I know I'm going to get out of this place. You were made one way, but how did you keep like watching over your mind and mentoring your mind in a way and, and speaking those things into existence, speaking life into your mind and, you know, seeing it play out for you. Like what did that practically look like what steps did you make to do so uh, man and this is why like the the piece we're trying to accomplish with identity made is 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 vital is crucial mentors man and father's figures in my life at the right time um because my coach there was for no games so now here here am i now who just met jesus it's this like awakening moment which kind of got me ready 
to start getting peace, like getting punched in my face by like authority and standards. So now I'm still living in this world where like I'm delusional about how good I am. So now with, with Jesus in my life, it's like, it's almost like he was like, Hey, it's, it's about to get real for you. Like how you thought it was about to go down is it's about to go down completely different. So I conjure up enough confidence to tell my coach, like, yeah, I'm going D1. Like, and it's still, I'm still rugged. Like it's still Rollo there where it's like, you still got to, you know, have some type of confidence. And he's like, what? You're not D1. What do you mean you going D1? Like, do you not realize like who, like the player you are? And that was the moment where it was like, now I'm, I fall back to my freshman year coach who's going to keep it real with me. So like everywhere I was running, kept it real, kept it real, kept it real. It was never like a moment where in that time frame someone told me what I wanted to hear. So now I'm like, dang, I, I don't work as hard as I thought I worked. I'm not as good as I thought I was. And now from the injuries, I'm crazy athletic. So now I've like accepted that I wasn't that good. And here's God blessing me with a newfound athleticism. So now here's this kid who thought he was good. And now, boom, I step into crazy athleticism. Now I'm doing 6 a.m.s every morning with my coach and getting better. So by the time I got back from my, my ACL recovery, I showed over a consistent period of time that he's is starting to click. He's starting to figure it out. I can trust telling a division one coach he should bring this kid. And in the midst of all that, I'm still the rah, rah guy, like uplifting people. It wasn't like I was just like a straight douchebag. Like I was still the, the leader on the team. Like I still had leadership, high character qualities that just wasn't really uh, honed in yet. Man, like that makes total sense because you literally were like, okay, you were looking for somebody to champion your talent, but they're like, well, you're, you're not good. (laughs) You're not good. Wherever you run, you're not good. And you being a problem solver, you're like, okay, I'm probably not good. Let me get good. Let me actually make the steps to do so. And I think it all stems from that faith that you had, you know, faith, the substance of things hoped for. You're hoping for D1, 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 but the evidence of things not yet seen. It's actually faith. The faith actually got you through into that moment. Fast forwarding, you're able to go Robert Morris and take them to heights that they they haven't been before. I think you were the MVP of that, that tournament. And then you yeah. actually go on to the NCAA tournament and win a game second time in school history. That made you and birthed you and gave you the credibility in the eyes to move you on to a Georgetown the next year. That journey, if you look back and you're like, man, <laughs> well, how is Lil Rollo, what would he say about how far you've come? Yeah. And it's funny, every year I came back home, like, was just so different. Like, the things I'm catching on, the things that now I used to do that I don't want to do. Like, after, like, that moment with Jesus, everything changed. So now it's like, I, I don't want to be with y'all. Like we could go to the gym, but anything outside of that, we're not doing. And then boom, now my pastor calls me in and is like, hey, it's, it's time. So now here's this kid still like stumbling uphill that gets called to be a pulpit preacher. So now 
when you talk about standards and authority and not wanting to play around with God, now as a, what was I, probably 21 at this point, 2021, 22. So now I'm in these, these, these positions where I can't play around with it no more. Although it's still a lot of falling short, I'm now on this process of like engaging the capacity, engaging with like, like, man, I, I can't be this half stepper. I can't be telling people one thing and not. But what does that feel like? There's so much pressure in that. Like, okay, basketball wise, they see me as this. Now I come here and I become a preacher. And that's a whole different type of responsibility. And if you're thinking like, you know, you, you actually know, yes, you know, the things that you were able to do, but you're still you. What does that feel like being you with seen as that, that pressure? How does that feel? Yeah. You know, in this time I was like locked in with, with, with my relationship now, cause I'm, 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 I'm putting together sermons for, for people that need God. And and now like I'm at a point with God where like a lot of stuff is being revealed, a lot of stuff that was hidden, a lot of strongholds um, that were in my life were, were now revealing itself. And um, so now it, it was like a lot slowed down for me in that period. Uh, a girl named Jaina at the time going on two or three years now, we shut down everything, like getting ready for uh, marriage. And I go to Robert Morris. And I'm there and it's a, it's a miserable experience, you know, just had a, it was a bad environment. Didn't get along with my coach that well. So that became a toss up because now I'm falling short in basketball in terms of like being a light. Like I had a, I had a, a lampshade and this was like the part that was just like so much tension for me because it's like, here I am sharing messages that low key were all for me. And I'm now going into a gym in an environment where Rollo wins, like, cause I'm not going to get out of here at the time as Rodney. So now I'm in, in, uh, environments with guys from inner cities that still haven't, you know, they're still there. So it's still that hostile, vulgar, almost like bringing up trauma yes. in me. Yes. And now you talk about depression you talk and, and that like, period of my life, those two years, I was hooping while depressed. If I, if I would have went to a clinic, they probably would have told me like, yeah, you, you got to figure it out. So now my standards started dropping and I was like scared to tell people because I'm a pulpit preacher. Like I should have it figured out. I should, you know, be able to bounce back. I should be able to just pray and ask God and commune with him and, and start figuring it out, which in turn just was a, as a lane for the enemy to come in and start uh, filling my head up with so much deception that, you know, I just kind of resorted to a shadow. Like I just coexisted there and in moments where it got hostile, I let Rollo win, win the space of like turning up, disrespecting the coach, even when it, the coach wasn't being honorable, but I still was called to be at a higher standard, which when I look back, I'm like, man, I missed so many opportunities to be a light for those guys, um, in that moment. Like you're torn you're kind of, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You're following God, you're preaching, you becoming this person, but you know, you're in an environment where they see you as Rollo and you know, it's hard to go back to that environment because part of life is growth. And a lot of people only see you in one aspect of life. And then it kind of plays to you, like what you think about yourself 
you're taken through these kind of you and your mind believe like, what do I believe? What am I going through? You did speak to deception. What were you believing about yourself during that time? I was, you know, I believed in, in, in Rollo, you know, like unconsciously, because like we talked about earlier, like, what did that environment give confidence and confidence in extremes? Like, so now here's this depressed Rodney who like, bro, I literally hung out with a couple of people and we would just kick it in the basement, maybe watch some games, play pool. But like, we were either in like this, like basement area of the, of the apartment complex or at the lunch place where all our conversations was complaining victim mentality. I'm tired of being here. This sucks. If I was at this school doing this, so like you were, I was in that space every day. So now my reality, I couldn't exist in it. And when I had to go into it, I was better off being Rollo in those moments to even, cause now I feel like I'm trying to survive. And I remember even like when I first got there, like I was still like the high standard person, but then it was like, you know what, what is being successful here is disrespect, you know, the anger, the, the, the hostile stuff. That's what's showing me is success. And on one hand, I'm still aware of it, but I'm like, dang, like, here's, I still want to, now I'm getting talked about going pro. Like what? Like I still can get my, like, so all of these factors are there. I'm doing a long distance relationship um, with my girlfriend. Yeah. And so now again, now you resort back. And this is the part where I like if any believers is listening to this, that component when when we get on fire for God, it's like that period where we resort back to that person that's supposed to not be there. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, it was like I had worldly success. That was the deception. Cause sometimes worldly success will make it seem as though it was okay and it's it's not okay. Cause I was still killing. Leading score, we go to the NCAA tournament. I got all this attention. I'm still tweeting about God. I'm still, you know, I'm still there, but there's still so much trauma and hurt that I'm neglecting. And when you neglect trauma and hurt, it becomes a stronghold that is the greatest stronghold of all time. So now it's like that pull, it's that weight. So now when I get to my second year, I'm like, man, you know, I need to be better. There was a lot of manipulation stuff that went on with me and the coach. And I come back from my second year and I'm telling kids like, yo, don't come here. And like, I'm almost like that, like, oh, wise, like, like, dude, you know, just sitting at the top of a mountain, just like, you don't want to do this. You you don't want to be here. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you don't want to be here. And, <laughs> and. So that team was like what like brought me out because this was like one of the closest teams we had because I had a bunch of young dudes that's trying to figure it out. And now again, boom, I get back home. I get back in a good environment. I'm back in church. I'm back with my pastor. I'm back, you know, with my mentors. And now I come back and it's like I I see it because that first year I was blind. Like I knew what was going on, but it was just like it was almost like I, I threw the ropes in for that year. And now I'm back senior year and there's like a, a, a bigger purpose, a bigger why of trying to exist 
like God has me here for a reason. So now it's time time to figure that out. Now it's time to figure that out, bro. I think, thank you one for sharing that. I think so candidly, a lot of people go through things that you did and, you know, depressed while playing basketball. I think that's huge for you to even speak on that because I know that just helped me in my situation where I was in a Germany, a tough time going through that type of stuff. And, and for you to speak so candidly, I do think that helped me even hearing and, and, you know, it'll help a lot of people. So thank you for being so candid with that. But going and moving on to Georgetown, you became, you know, the second leading scorer all time on an average year to year basis after AI. All the things that you've been able to do. It's, you know, it's funny. Um, you go on to be a pro. And we, t- we can talk a lot of ways about your story. And candidly speaking, just because you're so candid and usually that's how I am. There's like whenever you have someone like you that's gone on to be so much and done so much, you have a brand. There's so many ways that I want to take it. So if it's been jumped oh, around yeah. so oh, many, no. yeah, I'm off like, for that. Too. So yeah, it's yeah. It, it's it's so it's funny because I like even moving on the pro where it's the G League politics and what you went through with your your team back at Robert Morris. It's almost like the birth of identity made. It's like yeah. all the experiences that you go through wow. from a JUCO. You you those injuries, Low Rollo. You know how to speak to different communities. Then. You know, the hard time that you just spoke to added Robert Morris and all those experience kind of birth as you go to, you know, professional basketball. You wanted to go D1 and then you wanted to be a pro, but it doesn't quite look like what you experienced and what you pictured it to be. Oh, no. And you placed your identity in those things all your life. Wow. Fast forward yeah. to the creation of Identity Made. Yeah. Why is that so important to start that brand Identity Made and kind of what that means to you? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up a reader, man. So, and you know, in the scripture, it's all about stories. So you, you're figuring out what is my story? You know, what is this, this, this journey God has me on and what's it for? And going into my pro career now was the most tension I've had, like from an identity standpoint. Cause now, like, God, I'm for you. Like, I'm strung out for you at, at this point. So here I am taking scriptures out of context because now I'm like, God, I just want to show you that like I'm for you. So like my first year out, you know, and this was the Georgetown year was so interesting because here I am averaging 20 biggies killing that Maui. Like just you talk about a dream. Like this is like, it is crazy that is going on. And now you're hearing, yo, they talking about you going to the NBA. What? I just wanted to go D1. Like, I, like I'm already a pioneer in every respect of, of my family first to do all of this. And, um, you know, now the call for my walk with the Lord is so much higher. And I remember going pro, I ended up almost breaking my ankle in, in pre-draft, which was like, now when I look back, it was like the journey God had me on is just crazy. But I almost break my ankle. So now, you know, in pre-draft, like they're figuring, yo, why are you missing workouts? But you don't want to say you're hurt. So now we're like trying to, so then I, um, I'm able to like muster it up. Just bro, I was literally icing 20 minutes on 20 minutes. off. I don't even know if this is good. I'm icing bro. 20 minutes on 20 minutes off all day, like all day. Cause now it's like, I, I got to hurry up and get back on the, on the court. So these, these teens could see me cause I'm doing pre-drive with Drew Hanlon. I'm with Jason Tatum. 
Shimmy Ojale, Tony Bradley, Frank Mason. Like, so it's like the eyes are here. And like, I'm, I'm that dude, like I'm that guy. So now I'm like trying to figure out how to get back on the floor to be seen. So I'm going through all this. I mustered up by the grace of God. I put on tape ankle braces for my pro day and go crazy. Like I didn't miss. I had my bounce. It was, it was, it was all God. And, um, I'm talking with like Tibbs, like people at the, the pro day and they're like, man, like, so now I'm like, I'm, I'm going to the league. Like it's, it's a done deal. And you know, at this time, this is like the first year, the first year of two ways. So I'm on the old metric of get with a terrible team in summer league, kill, don't sign no exhibit 10 to commit to that one team, kill, get signed. And, and then we going to get in the league and see what's cracking. And I signed with Brooklyn. Eight dudes from the roster are playing in summer league. So that means there's no minutes, no matter how well you played in uh, camp going up for summer league. I finally get in the game. And it's it's all this weird pressure. It's still some flesh stuff, like where Jason Tatum at my game, like wanting to watch. And I'm literally having to tell him, like, bro, I ain't even getting in today. Like, I met with the team before the game. And they told me, like, hey, you're not getting in today. So now second day come, I get in, hit my three, come down on my, on somebody's foot with my ankle, have to shut summer league down. And now I signed to go to Turkey. I signed and I'll be candid with this too, which, cause this doesn't happen. Um, as a rookie, I signed 120 to go to Turkey. And this was a team coming from second division to first division. And I am miserable. Like, you like I wish I would have went overseas from like my junior year with Robert Morris just because it was more trench feeling. Like because when you get overseas from Georgetown, like I'm bougie now, and we <laughs> <laughs> facts no facts <laughs> facts. Hey no facts facts. <laughs> Bro, you know you get over there and it's like yo, what? So, and then that was the moment where this hyperbole of like, God, like I'm willing to shut it down and go all in. Cause I'm thinking, is my ministry church ministry? Is it like pulpit? Like, am I going to have congregation? So I'm literally like reading scripture and I'm like, God tells us to give up everything. So I'm, I'm calling my, my fiance, my, my uh, wife now, she's my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, God, it's, it's time. It's time. Like, like a movie. I'm, I'm trying to live my life like a movie. It's time. I'm, I'm, I'm coming home. God has called me home. And I'm, I'm in, I'm calling her every day, boohoo crying. Terrible situation. They're not paying all this stuff. I'm like, dang, first stint of pro. Then I come back to the G. And again, I'm on the old metric. Oh, I'm about to kill the G. This is about to be sweet. Like, kill it. Get my 10 day. It's going to be all she wrote. Get to the G. First five games, DMP. I'm, what is, what is going on? And, you know, it, a lot is going on in the spiritual sense with everything, too. But just from a basketball standpoint, I'm like, man, in an identity standpoint, like this is when I started realizing, like. The game can't it does not have the privilege, it does not have the authority and it does not have the foundation to host our identities, hmm. bro. It's like literally we have different 
facets of ourselves. Like even speaking to the younger kid that you are, you have different versions of ourselves. But at our core, it's our identity in Christ. I think even speaking to that time, you know, you do have making it to the G League, the ebook, you know, where you spoke to, you know, character development and handling politics and losing yeah, the yeah. passion and all those things. It's funny how, you know, you have a passion and something in you, that curiosity, and it plays out to a greater contribution, you know, giving it to other people. I, I don't know if, you know, making it in the G League added and made identity made, but it's just funny how many ways being a mm-hmm. curious kid that you say, okay, I can help in so many different ways. All right, let me put out this ebook for people. Let me become identity made. I don't know. It's just. Yeah. yeah and I think in that time, because I was so locked in with God, I started realizing like, dang God, you using me in a way that I don't want to be you. So I couldn't fight it. Cause at this point I literally like, it's only God It's on paper on flesh. Like I should be in the league. So at this point when I'm realizing like, dang, it's God, like how, how can I fight him? <laughs> so now it's like, okay, who are you calling me to be in this space? So now I'm having to humble myself all over again from the standpoint of how do I be the light now? Like this is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than politics. This is bigger than money. This is bigger than confidence. Like how can I be who God is calling me to be in this environment to help his other children um, and people that's still trying to figure it out? And that's when like, I'm like, all right, I did tell him this is his. So now that's when like the eBooks, the, and you know, this, we talk about the standard along the way. Like I've always been a player that sprints off the court, no matter what situation, like dead sprint, like not just jog or I, full and it becomes a thing on all my teams where like when I get sub like everyone's like like backing everybody up um on the uh <laughs> on the sideline so like little things like that like where I can still demonstrate joy because like at the end of the day bro I'm a pro like yes it's not going the way I want it to go but this is I'm living in a fantasy right now so it's like, again, now I have the awareness, I have the ability to slow things down and go to the airplane view of like, yo, you're like, like, oh, like yes. this is crazy. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm not getting minutes. Yeah, this, but bro, you're a pro. Bro, to this point, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm just going to keep it a book. Like literally, again, the anxiety, the mind bully in my head is like, keep it on schedule. Get to his story. Like, get to this point. I'm like, shut up. But because there's so many times I wanted to chime in and be like, oh, that's me too. Oh, that's me too. But right there, I'm like, oh, that literally is me. Even to speak into it like a Jason Tatum, having people come to your games and you're like, uh, you probably shouldn't come. I'm not going to play. I've had that experience so many times where it, it feels weird. Like, why are my friends and my family even wanting to watch me? I'm not getting in. I'm not not gonna play so uh like bro there's so much that you just said there there i'm like bro this guy like literally and, and just my voice the mind really the negative voice is like bro he has so much in this story get to this 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 but i'm like it's an experience i don't know i'm speaking out loud but to that you know just the joy and appreciation of i am a pro I'm still a pro. It don't matter what other people think and what it feels like, what it looks like. I'm still going to shine my light and serve people in the ways that I can in this pro game. I think getting to identity made and literally that name is so powerful. I think that message is literally what you see and what I feel when I saw identity made. I'm like, okay, 
the vision, the mission behind Identity Made. Can you speak yeah. to that and and all that you're trying to do through the apparel realms? Yeah. So, you know, in sports, apparel is is our representation. It's like this small symbol of like, I made it and I'm doing this. Like I have the team gear that's being handed out because I'm on the team. And every year, you know, going back to date, like I'm growing up in Chicago, you got Anthony Davis, Wayne Blackshear, Jabari Parker, Jaleel Okafor, my buddy Q Cheap. Like it's like crazy talent. And the circuit AAU, you see all these dudes. I've never like got on the circuit play. They're getting Nike everything. Like <laughs> just like geared out. And at this time, bro, we were the era where Elite Socks first came out. Like, so I'm like, man, now in my journey, I'm like, there's so much power and impact behind something as tangible as a t-shirt, a hoodie, a jogger, a book bag. And when, when, the pandemic hit, that's when it was really like, yo, you got to start figuring out what life is about to be for the next duration. And, you know, until God calls you home and cause basketball is not about to be your wealth. It's not about to be the player is not about to bring you wealth. The player is not about to bring you a lot of money now. So it's like the time is ticking for me as the player. Um, and that's when, I was able to like zoom everything into identity made and it started out as, you know, just everything, you know, it's like first apparel now, like the mentorship piece. So what we're, what we're doing now with identity made is, is helping kids embrace the journey up into your identity being made. Um, and it's so much nuance to it now, you know, cause it's, People are asking, are we a Christian company? Are we this? And, you know, God in this process has helped me. Because, you know, when you talk about existing in, in the secular lens, like the one scripture that's kind of helped, give, you know, all the wisdom scriptures, but the wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. So I'm a believer who made a company. And with this company, we use biblical principles or uh, they call it pseudo-Christian values that I believe will give people a, a, a real opportunity to to get on this path of figuring out who God designed them to be. Um, and then just like, like we talked about, all this stuff that I went through in my career to see the pivotal points of why, because it wasn't just like no snap of the finger of why, oh, I started thinking the right way or I start just behaving the right way. It's not just the snap of the finger. It was mentors. It was pivotal people, tangible people to see me, to hear me, to value me, which I believe is one of the strongest human conditions to be seen, heard, and respected. So with Identity Made and my heart for the pro athlete space is to create a platform where mentors can come do life with athletes at pivotal moments of their career and help be a voice to speak into their situation so that there's a guide frame, you know, there's a framework to help you not only better yourself in this pursuit of the dream, but to maximize who God has called you to be. And our, the whole push now is developing this new culture called the maximized athlete and what exists in the mass maximized athlete is the framework of, understanding who you are and in turn going 
to do what you're going to do, whether it's career pursuits, basketball. So now it's, we, we zoom that into a quote called be to do. Yeah. So be the person to do the That's task. So Don't do the task to be the person. Right. Be to do. I think, you know, you, you, even when you're starting a company and you want to do things for other people and serve, you know, the outside world want to put you in a box. Like, are you a religious company? Are you, no, I'm who I am. You know, I'm identity made. God made me this way with these interests because of these background and these people that I've met and these hardships that I face. And it's all crafted me uniquely a one of one to speak and to touch other crowds and to serve in this way. Yeah, it might be apparel now, but there's other things that I, I have. There's nuances to myself and my brand. It, I think it's so powerful. I think even when we were at a business mentorship program in New York, uh, and I'm listening, we're there, you know, where they brought us for some context, they brought us to the NBA headquarters, me and Rodney to as, as a close for this business mentorship program that we had. And there was a highlight and he had a highlight to where he was speaking to whether it's big CEOs of companies or people there that's done big things. And then he's telling this story and he's telling them and they're prying at him. And I'm sitting there like, damn, I'm up next. Like, I got to go against this. Like, I don't have a company. I don't have anything like. And so my my negative voice, my mind, blew, I'm like, bro, he, he's he got it. Like, this is well thought of. Like, he's you could tell somebody's done the work. You can tell somebody's actually like embodies what he has. And I was just kind of feeling less than. But then I got on. I told my story. But I think that, you know, just hearing your story and everything that you've been able to do and seeing, you know, he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. I Before I even met you, you were at a Lubbock, Matt Mooney's camp, just there serving, helping, like helping the kids. And so it's like, I knew of this kid. Then I see like, he's doing bigger things. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about being seen, heard and respected. You go from a kid to point him out, knock him out to all that you're doing now, bro. Honestly, truthfully, I think that it's a joy not only to have you in this podcast, to, but to have people in my life like you that I can speak and I can see myself in their story and be like, oh, OK, I'm not alone. Like, yeah, he can be him. I can be us and we can look different. We can do different things, but all like magnifying and showcasing the kingdom for his glory and everything that we do. It gives me real energy, like yeah. seeing and listening to your story. So thank you, bro. Last question that I always ask all my guests. When it does come to those moments, whether you're at a Robert Morris, you're going through those times or you spoke on your your year in Turkey where it's it's a mental battle, overcoming that negative voice, the politics of playing sports or in those times, you don't know, like you see yourself as one thing, but this negative voice is playing at you, trying to take your spot, trying to dim that light. You've been able to dim it to contribute in so many other ways off the floor. But when you're in those times, overcoming your mind bully, that negative voice, what are the practical steps that you work to do so? Yeah. Um, now it's that, that voice of gratitude. Um, cause when, when, when we talk about what I believe our behaviors are driven by whatever we believe. And sometimes it's an unconscious belief because you don't even know you believe it, but your behavior is displaying that you do. Um, so when I, when I think about what I believe, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news. The aspect that God lovingly designed every second, every minute, 
every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year of my life for me. It's for me. Gave me the ultimate mindset and the, the best voice I could have in my, in my head, which is gratitude. So when, when things get crazy, when it's pressure, when it's, you know, getting married in the pandemic, getting pregnant, having a kid, and then a father-in-law has a stroke, we have to break our lease. That was $10,000 to move back in to caretake for him to give up some of our luxuries, um, being newlyweds and all these different things. I always sit back and find something to be grateful for, whether it's my, my wife, which is a, <clears throat> is, which is a big piece of, of my journey and my story. Now I find these moments of being grateful. How and, long does it take you? Because you know, all that stuff, again, even my mind believes like you have that on your sheet. You didn't say that, but that's a different story. But I do think God speaks through people. He's speaking through me and I ask him, Hey, this is what it is. But anyways, like how long does it usually take you to get to that point? Because again, the real moments in your life that you just spoke of, like how long do you let yourself sit in that negativity and then change to gratitude? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm human. So I, I, I'm in those spaces for an extended period of time. In my premarital counseling, um, we, t- we talked about a practice of like tabling discussions this is it's to my wife but i take some of these practices into my own like individual self so like if both of us are not at a point to have a certain conversation we table it and by the end of the day we have to have a physical touch no matter how big and a disagreement has been no matter how much you know a day has been an annoyance has been because she's working I'm working, I'm an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of risk involved in our, in our situation. So it's kind of been like where God has had me in the journey is we in, we in the fire, like we're like always in the fire. So I've gotten it down to a point where I can address it. It doesn't necessarily mean I've healed or I've moved forward. I can address it every day, whether it happens in the morning and I don't, refer back to it to right before I'm going to bed, I don't let it become a stronghold into the next, the next day. So that now the next day I'm on that process of, of healing. But yeah, it, it is unique because you got to factor in, you got whatever responsibilities you have that is demanding your attention. So really developing a practice of like, if I got 10 minutes, cause, and you know, when you bring in science and stuff like that, you talk about, I, I believe this is the error of overstimulation down to good things. Whether you got a gazillion podcasts, you got a gazillion sermons, you got a gazillion different light structures, you got a gazillion different TV shows, you got a gazillion TVs in your house, gazillion uh, audio things in your house, kids, bills, jobs, all this stuff is overstimulating us. So, I try to practice going in a dark room is normally my bathroom where it can get pitch black, where there's literally no stimulation. And I get to exist in there with quietness, with like light not actually hitting me. And I'm having to unconsciously react to the light. Um, So it's like that, that awareness piece of like, (gasps) like, oh, like, you're tripping, like you're tripping. So like my, my warning cues are very high now. Like whether it's me with my wife, whether my tone is lifting when it's like, it shouldn't like, like 
it's to the point now where something's going off. The same way where it's like that seatbelt noise that don't stop. Th- those I have developed a practice to the point now where it's like, you know, like, hey, hey, like you're overwhelmed. Hey, 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 hey. Fire, 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 bro. I, bro, honestly, that is so. Cool. Uh, that's dope because that's fire. That's everything. Because once you're able to become aware, okay, I can flip it on his head. How do I change this thought? How do I change this feeling? Because how do I speak life to my life? How do I speak life into my wife? How do I speak life into my kids? Like, how do I do life as me, who yeah. I am in Christ, not this voice, not this mind bully? So everything that you said there, everything that you showcased here and everything that you're doing, bro, I, I think is amazing. And again, I'm so thankful to have you on the Mind Believe Podcast. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Yeah, and, and before we go, man, I, I want to, you know, give you your flowers. Just this platform, um, you know, what God is calling you to be and calling him to do. Because even one of the things that just impacted my life um, from you is the icebreaker we did in New York in a business room setting. Like where it's like a lot of times we can overthink what what we're going to answer. But when you're in a space of authentically being you and being real, because I say this, and this is like for believers listening to this too, and also for you, Narens, everybody's just going to be who they're going to be. Like people that practice things that we disagree with or think, whatever it is, you about to be you. So why why can't I be me? Especially when like I technically think Mine is a is a higher standard. I'm gonna be kind. I'm gonna be so. Why not be that person? So when we were there, man, and they opened up the uh, that question of like, what don't what can people tell by just looking at you? And you know, you started you you started with vulnerability of being transparent about like, yeah, I'm a twin and like struggle with identity, and then set the tone for the whole day. Where boom. When I found my identity in Christ, I'm if 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 I would have reacted how I reacted <laughs> internally, like I would have got kicked out because I said, "Oh God, you about to turn up in here." It's like that you throwing me alive because I'm now I'm going last, so I'm like, "All right, it's a movie now." And then <laughs> that it set off a ripple effect that caused like a few of the ladies, bro. They were coming up to me. It was like I've never been in a business setting where it's this real. It's this transparent, like ever. And I'm like, bro, this is power to being who God has called us to be. That's what I'm saying. The scripture says the world is waiting for God's children to realize who they are. Bro, so, uh, like, no, nah, I left I left that place fired up, charged up too. So I was like, ah, like, no, nah, it, it was crazy. So no, nah, thank you again, bro. Seriously, I'm honored to have you on, bro. It's Humbling to have you. Just a blessing again. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you so much for listening to this very week and this very episode. If you like what you heard and you like anything from this podcast, do me one favor. That's it. That's all I ask. I promise. I, I'm not like a, what do you call it? A telemarketer. I'm not that. Rate and review this podcast. It does so much for us. Thank you so much. Till the next one. Peace and love. Hey, Genix, you going off?